At this moment, we will turn our attention to the word of the Lord. Pastor Subash is coming to share the message that God has placed upon his heart, the burden of the rock. Hallelujah. Father, we come to recognize you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Our Father, Yahweh, in the name of Yeshua Mashiach, our Lord, our Savior, we come to give all the glory and the honor to you. We've come here, O oh God, to acclaim, even as we gather around the table, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. We come, O oh God, to acclaim that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be with precious ones and those that are on the way that you would bring, O oh God, a revival in the spirit, soul, body, and in every aspect of the welfare of your people. We join together, O oh God, to say thank you, thank you, thank you so very much for Jesus Christ our Lord and God's people said, Amen and Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Give the Lord a clap offering. Welcome, precious people, for the many who are coming back, and we want to give a special welcome and to say thank you for coming and being part of the in-service and welcome everyone that is here for the 1030 service. And those that are watching, we want to welcome you and I hope you would share this message and also invite friends and loved ones if you're on YouTube and share if you're on Facebook. It's a great opportunity. This morning, I want to move on to what would be the burdens, but specifically because it's a communion Sunday, and those that are watching, if you could prepare the, um, basically the grape juice or the cracker or bread or whatever, just so that we would be able to take this moment to recollect and to remember that's the most important, what Jesus our Lord did 2,000 years ago. So I chose this, particularly it had been in my heart, and I said, let me just go into this very important passage to do with the rock and the burden of the rock. Let me just take this passage from particularly Matthew chapter 21 and reading verse 44. Matthew chapter 21, verse 44, and whosoever shall fall on the stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind into pieces. There's the stone, and what we find is whosoever that falls and is broken to be remolded, remade, it's one thing. And the other is whosoever also in the other section who will not come and be contrite and broken before him it would crush him. So the burden of the rock or the burden of the stone is on one, there's a breaking that God would make, that God would mold, that God would use that person in that brokenness, but the other that is so stubborn and pride, and that was simply that it would crush him. This is simply to do, not just in this world, but much more for eternity. There's a blessing in brokenness, and thank God for the burden of that rock or the stone. Let's just to just summarize this passage. Let me say this in chapter 21 of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. You know that he rode on the donkey, and, and then, of course, he comes in and... Uh, totally, completely throws the money changers, and that sort of upsets the higher-ups in the temple. 
He goes to Bethany to spend that uh, the day before his crucifixion with uh, the loved ones there, Ma Mary, Martha, Lazarus. But the next morning he comes, and of course he basically speaks to the fig tree that does not give fruit. We will read that in just a moment to do why he did that. But much more, as he comes in, there's a lot of questions. Particularly in verse 23 of chapter 21 of the book of Matthew, here are the people asking what authority, and he goes on to talk about the authority. First he says, John's baptism was it of, of from heaven or with men? They could not answer. So Jesus says, neither would I. But he actually begins to talk and particularly to do with two parables that have so much to do with the vineyard. The first begins in chapter 21 and verses 28 all the way down to verse 32. This concerns a father with two children. He goes to the first and says, you, will you go to the vineyard? He says no, but he repents and then does go to the vineyard. Then he goes to the second one who says he will, but he does not go. So here is what he asks, what do you think of those two? And when you come to verse 31, the scribes and the Pharisees say, of course, uh, this is the reason. The first one basically has done well. And so the first verily I said to that, the publican's harlot goes to the harlot. Now he comes to the punchline, which is very important. I want you to uh, listen, and I want to emphasize that one word that comes to that breaking or brokenness, and that is in verse 32. Uh, listen to what he says. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and you, when you had seen it, repented not afterwards that you might believe on him. Repented not. The big word here is repentance. And I'm so glad that we gathered around the table, and this is so important, not simply first uh, Sunday of the month or simply every Sunday, but every day an opportunity to repent and to seek God and to be humble and to ask God, Lord, help me in the brokenness that he would begin to build and rebuild and shape and reshape every one of us. But I want you to understand when you go to this passage, he's saying, but you would not repent. Now he begins from chapter 21 and now coming all the way to verse 33 down to verse 41 the second parable again to do with the vineyard but specifically he's telling about the owner of the vineyard who lent his or gave his vineyard to some folks now he's asking for the fruit remember Jesus had come to the fig tree there was no fruit but these folks had no fruits so he's telling his servants, and so to speak, he sends prophets after prophets, and what did they do? They killed them. Ultimately, he sends his own son, saying to himself, they would reverence him, respect him, and hear him. But they said, here comes the owner of all this, let us kill him. And they grievously killed him. Now, I want you to listen to what it says in verse 42, very important, and that is the punchline for the second. Jesus said unto them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, it is marvelous in our eyes. Hold this thought because you can read that 
in Psalm 8, verse 14 and verse 15, because these are called messianic prophecies. And there in Psalm chapter 8, verse, uh, I'm sorry, um, Isaiah chapter 8, but let's just go down to Psalm 118, 22 to 24, just so that we get the exact word. The, okay, in verse 118, 22, the stone which the builders refused to become the headstone of the, it's become the headstone or the, uh, of the corner. And then in verse 23, he goes on to say, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now listen to what it concludes in verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So here you find the Lord Jesus referring back to these messianic prophecies. Now what you find in this is a powerful passage that Peter, the apostle, brings about in his epistle, talking again to what the Lord Jesus Christ alluded all the way to the book of Psalm, the messianic prophecy. And when you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 all the way to verse 8, listen to what he says. He says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Now in the next verse, in verse 5, he, you also as lively stone, are built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 6 continues to say, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, that is what the scripture we read, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Verse 7 tells us, for those who believe, he is precious. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. So you can read the psalmist saying about what would be in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14 and 15. That becomes literally a, 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 a very barrier by which they fell. It says, he shall be for a sanctuary, for a stone of stumbling. So to them it became a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel for guilt and snare. What a tragedy. In verse 15 goes on to continues and say, but among those that stumble and fall, be broken and be snared and be taken away. Now coming back to Matthew chapter 21 and verse 44, whosoever of one and whosoever of the other, whosoever would willingly broken by the stone, were told the blessings of brokenness. A blessing never comes to the fulfillment until a person is broken. But for the uns who refuse out of pride, you find that has been the tragedy of the Old Testament, how they, they resisted God, and he pleaded with them. And so sad when you read the story of the refusal, and all because of pride, and it simply says the stone will crush them, will literally, the burden would totally destroy them, and that we are talking about eternity. When you look into this passage, you find something very interesting. Because the stone or the rock, it's an imagery that you find all the way in the Old Testament and going all the way to the time of the patriarchs. And then down to the sweet psalmist of Israel, David, he had this imagery 
of uh, God being a rock. Remember, he's fleeing. He's running for his life. And where does he find in the natural safety? God brought him to the ravines of the rock. In fact, the cave of Atulam, the cave in the rock, become the training ground by which the army that came out uh, that were in debt and running away became formidable. They were the marching army of the greatest empire of Israel ever until the one, the son of David comes. But what you find is he calls this rock and because the rock becomes a safety, a heaven for him, he calls God literally a rock that we in the olden days, a song that came from this uh, New Hampshire uh, 200 years ago, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, and how I will hide myself in thee. Now, I want you to imagine, it goes back to even a prophecy that Jacob spoke to Joseph, and the way he does it, and look at the way he alludes to God. When you think about the hand of God upon Joseph, Genesis chapter 49 and verse 24 simply tells us, but his bow abideth in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence he is called the shepherd, the stone of Israel. What you find is uh, the beautiful way in which you find the story of the rock or the stone that is very much in the history and the DNA of the people of Israel. You know, when you look at the Mount of Oreb, and there's a rock, but it is not literally Oreb followed them, but it's simply the rock that gave water, and that rock is Jesus, is in pre-incarnate. But listen to what uh, God is speaking to Moses in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 6, strike the rock and water will gush out to feed the two to two, three million uh, people of the Hebrews. And then in Numbers chapter 20, verse 8 and verse 10, speak to the rock. And that is incredible. So you find this very importantly. Now when you summarize, you find Paul saying why those Old Testament incidents were very important. And he quotes this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and verse 4. Listen to what he says. And they did eat the same spiritual meat. That is what we'll be doing. But it is a significant because it's a fulfillment. But in the next verse, verse 4. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Jesus. This is not the Mount Horeb rock. This is a rock that literally was for them a water, a food, and resources for them. What is incredible is in his running out to find safety, the man who was the shepherd in his father's home and then becomes the shepherd to the people of Israel, even before that, he had to learn the cravines, the rocks, and the places which you and I would not go until, of course, times of trouble. And that is a brokenness. But listen to what you find in Psalm 18 and verse 1. Look at the way he mentions God. In this he says, I will love thee, my Lord, my strength. And verse 2 goes on to say, the Lord is my rock and my fortress. What a wonderful imagery there. The Lord is my rock. Slipping down to verse 46, he continues with the same imagery of God in which he says, The Lord liveth, blessed be my rock. 
and let the God of my salvation be exalted. So you can see in the practicality of uh, David's running and trying to find shelter, God led him, his steps were ordered by God, it was not an accident, running away for his dear life, running away from a man that was out to kill him, Saul, and yet you find the wonderful way in which he's led when you read that in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2. This is a wonderful passage. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none besides thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Chapter 22 of the same, 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 3, again he speaks about the rock. The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield, the Lord of my salvation, a high tower, my refuge, my savior. Thou saves me from violence. The God of my rock. In our modern term, we call the rock of Gibraltar, but this is the rock, the rock of all ages, the rock that has been strengthened, that is immovable. That rock is our strength, our help, and our hope, and our fortress. So now you find an aspect of what you find about the rock, the rock or the stone of Israel. He's the God. That is uh, incredible, the way in which we use so many uh, imagery, like the Lord is my shepherd, like the Lord is my fortress, but the Lord is my rock. And that comes out of an experiential understanding and knowledge and what would have been experienced by David in a time of his breakings. I mentioned something very important, and when you look at in the two examples that we find that the Lord Jesus Christ, in replying to the Hebrew, replying to basically the Pharisees, the scribes, and the chief priests, he uses two examples. Both of them have to be have to do with the vineyard. I want you to understand how important it is because he's speaking to people who are vineyards of the Lord at one time but they rejected him. In fact, if you were to turn to what would be this passage in the book of uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 5, let me read from verses 1 to 5. He's talking about my vineyard. And look at the way in which Yahweh our God talks about and talks about his people in the Old Testament. He says, now will I sing to my well-beloved song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered the stones thereof and planted it with the choice wine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made winepress thereof. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, Judge, I pray, between me and my vineyard. Can we put it in my church and me, which is God's well-beloved well as well? And the same fate that, would happen, that happened there in the old would happen to us if we're not careful. So he says in verse 4, What could have been done more to my vineyard? I have done all and much more. What could have been done more to my vineyard than I have not done it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, 
brought forth grapes, wild grapes. In verse 5, now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be crushed, trodden down, dashed into pieces. Just in case we call it, fine with me, I don't need to repent. I'm saved forever, permanently. I do nothing, and I can do what I want. There's no repentance, there's no breakings of brokenness. Be very careful. The vineyard would be broken down, and it would be crushed and trodden down. Many a times we realize Christianity has become a form of politics, a form of commercialization where people make fast money and buy their own airplanes, using the name of the Lord and the gift of the Lord, and, and literally hoodwink the people of God. Be very careful. You do not know how thin a line that you are standing on. We need to realize, my friend, if God did not spare the old, would he spare the new if we take it so casually? He comes to his own, and his own received him not. So here is the cry of Yahweh our God. Verse 4, what could have been done more to my vineyard? Is there anything that I did not do? Is there anything I failed, I did more and above? And you reject me. So this is played out in chapter 21 and verse 44. The stone that you can willingly be broken so you could be built, shaped and reshaped, your life be changed, or be stubborn, stiff-necked, proud, that the stone that could have brought and rebuilt you and given you the newness of life and new wine would be trodden down, would be crushed, dashed into pieces. So if that's not enough, let's just go to another passage in Isaiah chapter 28 and reading verse 16. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in sign for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Going back to chapter 21 of 44 words in Matthew, let me just say there are two definitions of whosoever, there's nobody in between. Whosoever that would be broken willingly, and whosoever would be dashed and trodden and crushed because of their pride. It is a whoso one side and a whosoever on the other side. There's no in-between there. And what you find is number one, a brokenness. I will talk about the blessings. And there is a crushing that's simply you are brought into pieces and trodden down because of pride. Your race, your color, your politics, your commercial, your money, but your pride is not in God. So when you go into this passage, let me first take the second one, that is 
trodden down and crushed. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 44. The last part, trodden down, crushed because of pride. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ did talk to the people of his time that constantly and the very packed questioning him. They followed him, not because they wanted to follow him willingly, find, wanted to find mistake, wanted to knock him down, crucify him, kill him, defame him. That's even done today. But I want you to realize he spoke this, and when you turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 42 and verse 43, very, very sad words. Earlier it said, if only I could have helped you as a hen that covers a chicken, but you would not. Now he says, saying, if you had known, even thou, least this day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but thou, they are hid from thine eyes. The next verse, verse 43, for they, they shall come, and it shall come upon you that thine enemies shall cast a trench about you, and can pass you round about and keep you in every side. Goes on to say, because you did not know the hour of your visitation. You knew the prophecies. You knew not the exact day, but a time and a date when the Son of God will come without knowing the exact day, but you know the moment was near. And to the last days, to the church, Repent and believe and turn around because it'll be just too late when he comes and how few would be those that look forward to his coming. The faith of many would wane and, wane and, 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 and simply leak out. I want you to understand Jesus our Lord in chapter 25 gives you a parable talking about ten virgins. They had everything they were needed. They had the land, the word. They had the oil, the Holy Spirit, and yet only five. That were prepared and ready, repented, and literally was broken down so they would be built. Watch out. Be careful. Take God seriously. So when you look at what happens in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 16, yet to come, look at the plight of these folks that cry out. And they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sits upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. What we face today is the wrath of of the world, the wrath of Satan, the world of political powers, the, the, the wrath of religious powers, the wrath of uh, commercialization and their power. Men who think they are sitting on top of a hill and they're king of the hill. My friend, the king of the mountains is going to knock them down. It's going to be trampled. It's going to be crushed. Be careful. The higher you go, the harder the fall. But I want you to understand, when you talk about brokenness, again in chapter 21 and verse 44, willingly broken fall on the stone shall be broken. The one earlier in this one broken is polishing, 
coming and saying, cleanse me. See if there be any sin hidden in me. The other one is like the chaff that is removed from the wheat. It is blown, it is thrown, it is cast into the fire. There's a big difference between the two fallings. But I want to realize in this, what is you find is a powerful word that means so much. When you go back to the book of uh, Genesis, you hear the story and you get amazed at this awesomeness of what God does. In the life of a corn artist, a liar, a supplanter, a cheat. Jacob, yes, he was of the seed of Abraham and Isaac his father, and yet he was a corn artist, lied and theft and all of the things. Whether you be a Hebrew or a Christian, the name does not matter, my friend. It is how your heart is towards God. This was a heart that was solid against God and the things of God. He grabbed for a blessing, even if it means cheating his brother. But that blessing is nothing compared to what God wanted to give to him. For 20 long years, he lied and lived in this camouflage of Esau. I am Esau. When his father said, what's your name? Not Jacob. 20 long years of lies and deception being in the church, being of Abraham's seed. What a rich promise. Thank God for the mercies of God. He came to a brokenness. You see, my friend, he met his match in Laban, but he's outwitted that man too and got two of his daughters in this wild goose chase. But what happened is the old mistakes come to haunt you. He heard Esau is coming with 400 men. Actually, Esau is nobly. He kisses his brother until I don't need. But look at the scheme. First batch, second batch, just in case... Gifts will basically please him. But he cannot get rest. After sending the two bands to basically give a gift and pacify his brother. Guilt deep down, I've cheated my brother. And then just in case he loses his family, he takes his family away. But he comes back to this brook of Jabok. I know we all read this awesome passages. It's not there literally in Genesis chapter 32. But you find that he wrestled in prayer. He didn't wrestle in prayer. Out of nowhere, what he would have thought was an assassin, what he would have imagined one of the top-notch guys from Team Esau, Crappled him, wrestled him. Now I want you to understand, it was the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you will not allow your Jacob to run dry and tomb. God chased him like the hound of heaven. And when you read in the morning, he realized it was no assassin. It was no thief. It was God wrestling with him. Why? Break his stubbornness. Break his pride. Break his keening, double-timing man. 
and reached out to him, would not give up till the break of the day. And then he said, bless me. Bless me. Not until you are broken. What's your name? I'm Jacob, plain old Jacob. I'm a cheat. I'm a supplanter. I confess. I'm broken. And break he did. His leg was touched and broken. So much so that he began to limp. If Jacob was called to give his testimony of how God blessed him, the first thing you note about him as he comes down, he needs help because he wouldn't be able to walk. And once he comes to the pulpit limping, he will tell you, my blessing, that I became Israel a prince with God. God wrestled my flesh. God wrestled me, touched me. I'm limping, but I'm blessed. It took that breakingness to make me from Jacob to Israel. Are you going through that, my friend? Is God wrestling with you because he loves you? This is not some enemy trying. The steps of a righteous man are ordered, ordained of God. There's no mistake. Oh, Satan did this. No, God is in control of your life. Is he wrestling with you? Is he wrestling with the flesh, with the prideness, with the soul? That he's breaking it. And still today, you can see the greatest men and women who are blessed of God in some aspect are walking with a limp. Paul said three times, three times, just one time, people were healed. God used you as an instrument. Three times, I cried out. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. You're a man with great vision. I want you to have greater vision. You're a man with a great burden. I want you to have that burden. But just in case you get proud, I have let that thorn in your flesh remain so you would always know I'm a man that is limping. I'm blessed, a broken man. And many during this pandemic have cursed God or cursed their circumstances. But my friend, in the midst of loss, in the midst of pain, in the midst of a limb, you are blessed beyond your wildest imagination. You are broken intentionally, and out of that brokenness comes blessing. Let's read about Jacob. In Genesis chapter 32, reading from verse 24. Listen, and Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Oh, God, do not leave us. Wrestle with us. Wrestle with us. We're not here for earth alone. We are there for eternity. Wrestle with us, Lord. Wrestle with our flesh. Wrestle with our pride. Wrestle with our culture and our color and our politics and our money and our status and our class till we come to nothing and we have everything. Take away the somebody till we become a nobody until we become God's somebody. 
Jacob was left alone. The rest of the man, verse 25. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched. What? This man at such sheer human pride, human strength, self-willed. The only way to touch him was the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. Have you had been out of joint? That you feel physically, mentally, spiritually almost limp? God loves you, my friend. God loves you, that's all. God wants to bless you. It's not the end of your life. It's only the beginning. As he wrestled with God, verse 26. And he said, let me go. For the day is breaking. And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. You are not an assassin. You are not this great security man sent from Esau. You are the one that Yahweh has sent to wrestle with me. Bless me. And in verse 27, he said, what is your name? Esau? No. I'm plain, old, cunning, shameful Jacob. That's me, Lord. And then in verse 28, he said, Your name shall be called no more Jacob, a supplanter, a cheat, for as a prince you have power with God and man, and you have prevailed. Every time you walk your limb, you need help. You are leaning onto God, no more on your mind, no more on yourself, no more on your ingenuity. You are leaning totally on God. Before that, your gifts was to make you millionaire by your own play. Now your gift is purely for God, nothing about world, nothing about flesh. I want to realize, my friend, Job went through that breakings. Thank God that God did not let Job go. He's a great philosopher. But when you turn to Job chapter 16 and verse 12, listen to that words he says. I was at ease, but he had broken me asunder. Are you at ease? And then comes God who broke you asunder. The reason is God wants to multiply you, bless you doubly than ever before. You thought you were doing good until the breaking came. That's not the end. Every building that has to be reshaped and be built in a magnificent way has to be broken down before something new can come. God is breaking you for something bigger and better. When you come to the end of chapter 42 of Job, when you turn to verse 5 and verse 6, listen to what he says after God speaks to him now. I've heard of thee by the hearing of my own ears. I thought everything was my thinking before, but I have heard in my own breakings. And now my eye sees you when I was broken. Otherwise, it was presumption. I thought, I thought, I thought, I supposed my own way. Until these breakings have come, I could see you. I could hear you. And what does he say in verse 6? He says, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. But they would not. 
In Luke chapter 21, those will not, will not. And he said to them, the rock that would break you to make you will be the rock that would crush you and completely trodden you down. What would you want? It's your choice. It's your choice. God gives you the choice. Either be broken to be blessed or literally crushed to be trodden down. What I want you to understand is there comes a time when even nothingness you come to realize you have to trust and your resources are on God. I see this passage in Judges chapter 14 and verse 6. Samson is going out, about, he has nothing in his hand, and all of a sudden he sees a lion, and the Bible says he had nothing. Come to nothing, and yet comes the strength that God had given him. How could he have discovered if he had a sword, if he had a knife, he would never have known. There are people that have so much within you, businesses, creative things that God placed, but you are comfortable. There are people that have great ministries within. It's deep down like the diamonds and gold deep under. And then when God begins to dig, you are saying, no! I've been through tribulation. Oh, my friend, God is taking and digging deeper so that the gold and the diamond would come forth. If only in the shakings and in the breakings have been the greatest business, have been the greatest breakthrough, have been the greatest revival ever. If there was no dark point, if there were no breakings, there would never have been the great achievements or the great blessings spiritually and naturally. Something has to be broken for there to be a victory. God brought Gideon to nothing, 32,000. Then he reduced them to 22. Then he reduced them to 300 against an overwhelming army. But I want you to understand 300 and they carried pictures. When you turn to Judges chapter 7 and verse 19. Listen carefully, the breakthrough. And Gideon and the 300 men that were with him came to the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpet, break the pictures that were in their hands. The rest is history. The pictures were meant as a picture, a narrative that we have to see a breakthrough. You have to break it. There is a passage in Mark chapter 14 and verse 3 of a very simple woman. I want you to realize, being in Bethany, you know the, three, the two sisters and Lazarus. She did not mind her dignity. She did not mind what politicians and entertainers and businessmen or neighbors would think about. All the resources she had, she bought and put that oil in an alabaster box. And before the multitude, she was not heralding a political party or a caste or a color or a class. She just took everything and broke the alabaster box at the feet of Jesus. The scribes, the Pharisees, the people in high seats said if he was a prophet, 
He wouldn't let a woman touch him. And Jesus said, I'm paraphrasing, they would not know who you are. A few years from now, 2,000 years later, I'm talking about this woman. Her name is Mary. Everywhere the gospel is preached, what she did will always be remembered. We remember her today. The brokenness of the alabaster, the fragrance, and she takes her hair, wipes it at the feet of Jesus. There are people wiping their hair on some political parties, on some businesses, on their degrees, on their position, when you should have that broken, that Jesus would be the center of your life. He's worth it all. He's worth it all. I want you to realize, my friend, when we think about breakings, no one has been broken like our Lord, our Master, Jesus Christ. No one has been broken like he has gone through. And when we break the bread, do not forget he was broken for you and for me. His heart was broken. When you read the Messianic prophecy in Psalm 69 and verse 20, look at what it says about the Lord Jesus. Reproach had broken my heart. I'm full of heaviness. And I look for some to take pity. They laughed at me. They scorned at me. There was none for comforters. I found none. You did miracles. Now come down from the cross. His heart was broken for a perishing, dying humanity. His heart was broken for you and for me and the world around. You know, when you hear the heart-piercing cry of our Lord Jesus, look at the way Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46 tells in this cry. It echoes from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Even God the Father could not look. He took the sins of the mankind. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, with God. All things were made, and now there's a separation. Never been for man who separated himself. God sent Jesus so he could be the last Adam that brings us back. But he had to die to pay the price. That is what we will be celebrating today. But I want you to realize something very important. Jesus does something very, very significant. And before we go to the communion, I want you to look at this word, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26. It says here, and as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it. People want to stop there. Lord, bless me that I could have a big plane, that I could use you, abuse you, use your gifts and abuse your gift. And the message and the speaker, it's all about me. The gift must reflect me. What nonsense. I want you to understand, my friend, the blessing must be broken. Excuse me? Your prayer ministry must be broken. 
before you can be a greater prayer. Your deliverance ministry must be broken before you become to the next level, a higher level. In the breakings, God is not giving up on you. God is elevating you by brokenness. Before that, this bread is blessed, but it cannot be distributed. It's one piece. Me, mine, ours, ask for, and no more. And God says, enough of it. Break it. And when you break it, you know, you wonder how could five loaves and two fish basically feed 5,000, not including them, women and children. The blessing is in breaking. The bread says, no! You have to be distributed. You are blessed. Now blessed to be a blessing. Broken. Now the blessing becomes shared values for others as well. What you find is he break it and then gave to the disciple and said, take, eat, this is my body. Distributed, what a marvelous way. Every time the disciples gathered together, they did that. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, listen to what the early church did. It simply plays they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread. They broke the bread. And in prayers. Bread must be broken. It is blessed. But it will not bless others until it is broken. Maybe that talent, that gift, maybe it's the ministry has to be broken to take it to a higher level. Acts chapter 2 verse 46 again tells us of the early disciples. Says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread. The bread could be sealed in and put a cupboard in and say the sign of the cross, but it blesses no one. You are that bread. I am part of that bread. God blesses. I love it. God wants to break. Oh, take your hands off in Jesus' name. Jesus, I'm the one breaking it. Jesus' name, cast it out. It is not of God. It is God. Whatever you are going through during these very challenging of times, Satan doesn't have the last word or the last laugh. God does because he knows what he's doing. And what he's doing is breaking you to bless you. Let's turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 49, 41. Another perspective, not from Matthew, but from Mark. And when he had given, taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed it and broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples. And then it was distributed first time to 5,000, then to 7,000, not counting the women and children. How could five pieces of bread be distributed by to some 20,000 people? My friend, the blessing is in being broken so your prayers would go to the masses, so your ministry could touch lives. And it would not have been possible but for the fact the pandemic taught us social media is not the devil's workshop. We can use it for God, for God. I get to see some 
of the Facebook and YouTube, and people talk, they're Christians, they talk about the political party, they talk about their class, they talk about their color. They talk. My friend, it's nice to talk, but W talk about Jesus. He's the reason why we are here. He's the reason why we exist. He's the reason why Father has sent him, that he would be a blessing, and he would bless us to be a blessing. What I find is a very important principle that's enshrined in John chapter 12 and verse 24. Never forget this. It's a principle by which Jesus followed, a principle by which he says we must. Verily, verily, when you hear once, fine. When you hear it twice, important. Bells go ringing. Important. I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. It's one single seed. But when it dies, when it's broken, when it's gone to the earth, it bringeth forth much, much fruit. And the pastor says 30-fold, 60-fold, 100. You mean to say one seed could reach 30 times? One seed can reach 60 times? One seed can reach 100 times? Oh, I want that. Then be broken. There's no a shortcut. Be broken. The Lord is speaking to you today from the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. As a loving father, he says, now no chastening, no discipline, for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yielded peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Verse 25 of the same chapter goes on to say, see that you refuse him not, that speak it like those folks did and today people are but he's speaking to you to say for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven god's purpose in your life is greater than just this earth if all you want is a massive building your own name, your fame, your buildings, your plane, and that's all there is to it, you will get it. But he would send leanness to your soul. But if you are meant to be for eternity, and long after you are dead and gone, your DNA would still be speaking and touching lives. Where would you want to be? Your choice to be broken, to be built by God or to refuse and be crushed and trodden under the feet. One of the greatest revivalists that if you study about revival, one man significant, it was not about name and fame. In fact, he didn't want it. He was a man who did not like the limelight. He was a man that hid, and when revival came, you couldn't find him. He was hiding. He had very few words to speak because he was not about speaking. But he cried out to God. He cried out to God. And the greatest revival that you can ever find in the annals of history that lasted the longest, most revival have, and then fizzled down. Because you see the American revival today. 
a little fire and they're jumping up, a little smoke and they're jumping up and asking for donation, asking for money. It's all about money in the name of revival. Revival meetings. They come, they go, fire is out. All of this to the next camp, the same message, the same height, the same thing, place after place. One man came down here. Three years later, I invited him, and it's the same message, the same way of speaking. And I said, what's wrong with you? He said, I've only got eight messages. I'm running out as soon as eight messages go. But while those eight messages is pumping up and then talks about money, then talks about himself, my friend, that is no revival. That's a scam in the name of revival, collecting money. But I'm sorry to say this, my friend, this man, Evans Richard, Robert, Evans Robert, the Welsh revival was the longest lasting because he let God. He let go and let God. He was a man who hid himself. You couldn't find him. They had to trace him from under the chair. And he got up to speak. Revival began to sweep. It was not about Evan Roberts. He said it's about God. Three things he mentioned over and over again. Meetings so, so packed that he couldn't get in. He had to walk over the backs of people just to get there. And when he got there, he just spoke three words. And what were the three words? Give God glory. It is all about him. Pray, pray, empty yourself, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number three, his words, his songs, his prayer. Bend us, O oh Lord, bend us. Break us, O oh Lord, break us, that the world would know you and the message of the gospel. I ask you today, my friend, as we partake of this communion, what will it be? As we break the bread, it's not simply the Lord who was broken. The Lord went up on the cross for us. But Paul said, this is what I desire to know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I'm not climbing the cross. Paul said, I'm basically paraphrasing it, for my salvation, it's that I would crucify myself. Crucify the old man, and that will not come without breakings. The greater and deeper you go into God, the less you talk about fame and money and little things. I've seen people come in and say, healing, healing, healing. And I looked and said, yeah, he had a little flu, now he's got big flu. What healing is that? I have never seen big healings. They make a big deal out of nothing. And I won't say, God, let there be real healing, God. I don't, I don't want to make a puff and huff about something. You do great things, and you will publicize for your name. But we have so much of big, big advertisements on nothing. The end is just to get money. They want to use any way in any shape for their own good than God. But will you, 
and God is using you. He's giving you gifts, not for you, for the kingdom. And through this very breaking, God is revealing what is in you for his glory. And like Evan Roberts, bend me, Lord. Bend me, Lord. Bend me, Lord. 